Welcome to Market Week in Review for the week ending February 21st, 2020. I'm Sophie Antelgibert, and I'm joined today by our senior investment strategist, Paul Eidelman. Good morning, Paul. Hi, Sophie. It's a pleasure to see you. Yeah, you too. I'm hoping that you can help us get some clarity on some of the things that have been dominating markets this week and dominating the headlines. One, unfortunately, coronavirus still in the headlines. So what is the update there and what is your perspective on how it might affect um, markets and portfolios? Sure. Second, we got some... Um, PMI flash data globally and also some regional U.S. data, hoping you can give us a picture of what is the data telling us um, where markets are at. And lastly, focusing on U.S. politics. We have Super Tuesday coming up. What's happening there? Mm-hmm. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So coronavirus, I know that you don't have a medical degree, but <laughs> you do know a lot about investing. How is the coronavirus affecting the way you're looking at portfolios and thinking about structuring portfolios at the moment? Well, it hasn't impacted our investment strategy that much, but it certainly has injected a bit of risk aversion into market pricing. When we just look at what happened this week, uh, global equities as measured by the MSCI All Country World Index are off roughly one and a half percent. We're seeing uh, some risk aversion in the bond market too. So 10-year treasury yields have come down uh, about 10 basis points and are now at uh, roughly 1.45%. So we're seeing some movements in markets that reflect some fear or concern around uh, effects with the virus. I guess what we do know is, um, you know, there are a significant number of cases. Uh, In the aggregate, those number of cases seem to be plateauing, which is a good sign. But I think what has got some investor attention this week is that the virus seems to have spread in terms of potentially some new centers of infection and and disease. So we're seeing a, a pickup in cases in Beijing, which is an important economic center in China, obviously. So it's spreading away from just that uh, concentrated pocket in Wuhan. Also some cases uh, cropping up in Korea, some cases cropping up in Iran. So I think that's where the concern is that even though the data seem to be plateauing, maybe there's some risk of it broadening out a little bit out of that concentrated region in China. So that's what we'll have to kind of keep an eye on. We can't really forecast um, sort of disease propagation, um, but you know this will have an impact on global fundamentals, certainly in the first quarter. Um, And that's as simple as the fact that a lot of factories in China have been shut down as a result of this. They've been kind of quarantining and uh, keeping activity as subdued as possible to try to control the infection. When factories are shut down, they're not producing activity. And that very precisely is what GDP is trying to measure. Right. So we're expecting quite big uh, drags to the Chinese economy in the first quarter. Uh, They normally produce a GDP growth rate of something like six and a half percent. It could be a seven percentage point impact from the virus in Q1. So maybe even a negative outcome in China, potentially big hits in places like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore. So other sort of uh, important economies in the Asia region, probably lesser impacts in Europe and very minor impacts in the United States. But directionally a drag everywhere globally in in Q1. I think the, the bigger issue, if you're thinking about an investment strategy going forward, though, is is this really going to be long lasting or not? And what we've seen historically around SARS and other experiences is ultimately, if it gets contained, you get this one really big quarter hit and then things snap back pretty quickly thereafter. And if that proves to be the case again this time, 
I think financial markets will ultimately be able to look through this as more of a volatility event and a noise factor instead of something that significantly derails uh, the outlook. So that's our thinking for now. But uh, ultimately, there's something we're going to have to keep an eye on for a couple more weeks. Yeah, yeah, with the sort of effective uh, ripple effects that it can have. Yep. Um, speaking of shorter term and sort of shorter term outlooks and stuff, um, we recently got data for February, um, yep. flash PMIs and then some regional data in the U.S. What caught your eye and what are you looking at there? Well, yeah, these data points are interesting because they are for February. So we're starting to capture some of these virus effects in the macroeconomic numbers now. Um, and it's a sloppy picture. So the numbers are a bit all over the place. Um, we did get preliminary readings for Japan, Europe and the United States. I think the, the clearest message came from the numbers in Japan, which were, were quite soft. Again, thinking about where these virus impacts should be the most significant, it probably should be concentrated in Asia, and the Japanese numbers did slow down. There was recognition that supplier deliveries and supply chains were struggling, uh, tourism had slowed, et cetera. So I think the Japanese economy is in a little bit of a pothole at the moment. Although that sounds like that was sort of to be expected. Yeah, so. absolutely. So I don't think we're particularly surprised by that, but it was a, a soft reading uh, in February. Europe was actually kind of encouraging. Um, they're Flash we like PMI, that. That's absolutely. Not so the, <laughs> the PMI picked up to roughly a six-month high, so uh, that was an area we had seen some evidence of stabilization and improvement uh, starting in the fourth quarter of last year. That appears to have kind of continued into February, and I think that's a very encouraging uh, development for a region that has struggled for for some time economically. Um, and then the United States is kind of very much a mixed bag. So we have two different data points for February. There's some uh, manufacturing surveys produced by the Federal Reserve for different regions in the United States, and then the same flash PMI. The regional Federal Reserve numbers were outstanding for February and showed a very strong improvement in economic activity. We got those earlier in the week. Uh, and then just this morning, the, the Purchase Manager Index came out for the United States and showed a, a pretty significant drop-off. And so it's, it's just a noisy picture. Uh, my sense is the U.S. economy is still performing pretty nicely here. I think the consumer is in good shape. Uh, and I think business confidence has stabilized a bit. So we're, we're looking for a healthy economic trajectory in, in 2020. But the numbers were a bit of a mess this week. And I think, quite frankly, with the virus effects just starting to show up now, uh, it's going to be a, a sloppy picture here for uh, probably a couple of months. And so it's going to be hard to have a very clean read on what's happening. Interesting. Um, another thing that I know that we're all tracking very carefully mm -hmm. is the election cycle in the U.S. Super Tuesday is coming up. Yep. I'm not suggesting that that'll be a sloppy read. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more decisiveness um, out of those elections. Where yep. are you thinking? And again, if you're thinking at, with, with your investor hat on, what are you? how are you sort of preparing and planning for what might be some different potential outcomes. Well, yeah, I think we're getting into the meat of the Democrat primary season now. On Super Tuesday, March 3rd, one third of all the delegates are awarded in just one day. So that's going to be a, a major watch point uh, for markets. What we know kind of coming into it right now, looking at uh, the so-called betting markets or polling models, the uh, progressive candidates are doing quite well in the United States, in particular Bernie Sanders. Uh, when you take kind of Sanders and Elizabeth Warren together, they're projected to have roughly a 60 percent chance of winning the primary. Um, so they're doing quite well. What markets are kind of thinking about and considering are the proposals of these candidates. And they do have some pretty aggressive proposals. I think what we're most focused on are the possibilities of, of repeal of the corporate tax cuts that were put in 
place in 2018. Those boosted U.S. earnings growth by almost 10 percentage points. And so if they go away, it could have a similar sort of negative counter effect, which could cause some volatility in financial markets. There's also proposals around banning fracking, which could be disruptive for the energy sector, and some proposals around antitrust for mega cap technology companies, which particularly given how much they've been driving performance uh, over the last couple of years now could be disruptive. So I think that's what we have our eye on. Um, you never want to take uh, all these policy proposals necessarily literally be- for a couple of reasons. One, uh, politicians sometimes uh, don't deliver everything that they uh, have their heart set on. And in particular as well, the president doesn't control the power of the purse. It's really all up to Congress as well. And I think uh, what happens to the Senate in 2020 could uh, ultimately matter even more than who wins the presidency. If, if the Democrats don't win the Senate, they may not be able to get these ambitious agenda items done. So a lot to look out for, but I think that Super Tuesday, March 3rd watch point is going to be a key one for us. Well, we will look forward to updates. That's all we have time for today, Paul. But thank you very much yeah, for sharing you. your insights. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week.